verse 9. Now, after He had risen early on the first day of the week, He first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom He had cast out seven demons. So, He appears first to Mary Magdalene. Get that down. Make sure you're aware of that. The first person to see Jesus after His resurrection is Mary. And if you want to read more about it, that sweet story is is given in detail in John chapter 20, verses 11 through uh, 18. The story of Mary meeting Jesus there. She thinks He's a gardener. She doesn't recognize Him. Well, of course not. She's got eyes filled with tears. She's not really even looking, not thinking, trying to figure out where the body is. And, And here comes Jesus. She thinks He's the gardener. He's not the gardener. He calls her name, Mary, and she hears His voice. And she recognizes Him calling her name. And she says, Rabboni. And she falls at His feet and just grabs hold of Him. And I love how John recounts it. Jesus saying, Mary, let go. It's okay. I haven't gone anywhere. I haven't returned to the Father yet. You don't have to cling to Me here. I'm here. It's a wonderful story. Mark only notes one thing about this meeting. He just says that He appeared... First, first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. And that's the first we learn that. In fact, what Mark tells us is the person to see Jesus first, he tells us about her past. And this is the first time we've heard about Mary's past. That she had seven demons inhabiting her body. And by the way, let me just point out, Mary is probably not the sinner woman who goes in in Luke chapter 7 and interrupts the meal that Jesus is having with Simon the Pharisee and anoints his feet and weeps over his feet and wipes. That's probably not Mary Magdalene. Tradition over the years has kind of put her in that place and and people believe Mary Magdalene was was a prostitute. She was a harlot filled with demons. She was one messed up lady. The Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible tells us Mary Magdalene had seven demons that Jesus most likely released her from. And I was thinking about that today. Worse than having a life of whoring, Mary had seven demons. But Jesus released her. And you know, this is a time of year that holds a lot of demons for people. I've heard some... Man, I'm not going to recount them right now, but over the last two weeks, I've heard two or three just really sad Christmas stories. One of those just took place and is going to cause a very sad Christmas for several parents on the East Coast. And we always don't want bad things to happen at Christmas time, right? Because if it happens at Christmas, that's going to make it even more worse. You know, there was an old MASH episode I was watching a few nights back, a Christmas episode where the surgeon had a guy come in on, uh, on Christmas Eve. And he's dying. Actually, it was on Christmas Day. And the rest of the camp is celebrating Christmas. And they're trying to keep him alive. And they finally realize he's going to die. There's no way he's going to get through this. But they determine to keep him alive until after Christmas is over so that his children don't have to know their dad died on Christmas. It's a lot of pain that gets associated with Christmas because it's... Well, it's such a twinkly holiday. It's supposed to be joyful. That's what they tell us. Joy to the world, right? This is the time of year you're supposed to be happy. Some have been raised in families where Christmas was a drudgery. Where it was a pain. Where it was pressure. (laughs) And so this time of year holds a lot of demons for a lot of people. Even 
Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown Christmas, he says, I know nobody likes me. Why do we have to have a holiday season to emphasize it? (laughs) And I ask you, where else are you going to hear the words of Charles Spurgeon and Charles Brown quoted in the same teaching? (laughs) But seriously, old wounds, old demons. And this is a tough time for that. And the holidays accentuate highlight past problems, they deepen recent sorrows. But gang, listen, when you come, when we come to the resurrected Christ, there is nothing past, there is nothing present, there is nothing future that has any hold on us but the love of God. You want to redeem the holidays if you've had bad Christmases in the past? Know this, it is about Jesus coming into this world because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What does that do to my past problems? It releases me from them. What does it do to my present struggles? It frees me from them. What does it do to my future worries? It denies them because my future is with Him in eternity. And so here's Mary who had had, and I love that we're told about it right here, at the resurrection. Mary who had had, past tense, seven demons cast out of her. Seven demons that would never return. Seven demons that could no longer haunt her. Why? Because this Christ is Christ. And because He has risen from the dead. And I believe that's part of the reason why Paul talks about the confession that we are to make. And he says in Romans 10 verse 9, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, that is you accept with obedience His Lordship, and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Believing in the resurrection is part of my salvation. Why? Because it's a test of whether or not I have... No. He says, with the heart, a person believes resulting in righteousness. Everything is right. And with the mouth, he confesses resulting in salvation. And the Greek word Paul uses there, you've probably heard sozo. Sozo means saved eternally and saved immediately. I am immediately saved. How am I immediately saved? Because I have been saved by a resurrected Savior. Which means He's not just good to His Word back when He was alive 2,000 years ago. It means He's good to His Word right now. Mary, who had had seven demons cast out of her. It's marvelous. And belief in that resurrection. Man, it brings salvation eternally. Yes, but it brings salvation to you immediately. Verse 10, continuing on. So she went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. And when they heard what he, that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. Why was Mary the first eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection? Listen. Mary was at the cross, Right? Mary was at the tomb watching Joseph lay Jesus' body there. Mary was among those early Sunday morning at the tomb. Why was Mary the first eyewitness? Because she was there. Because she was there. She wasn't too busy to care about the body of Christ. She wasn't hung up on life stuff. She wasn't chasing success. She wasn't heading out the door to do other things. She wanted to be where Christ was. 
And because Mary was there, she saw the resurrected Jesus. And I think Jesus recognizes that in her. She just wanted to be where He was. She was there. The eleven weren't there. (laughs) Had the eleven gotten themselves out of bed that morning, had the eleven extricated themselves from their pitiful sorrow and headed down to the tomb to minister to the Lord who had ministered to them for three years, perhaps they would have been among the first to see Him resurrected that very morning. But it was Mary because she was there. What were the eleven doing? Mourning and weeping. No wonder they couldn't believe. They weren't waiting expectantly. They were mourning. They were caving in. And it is awfully hard to believe when I'm wallowing in sorrow and despair. Hold that thought. And know this. This world is hard. And yes, I know it's getting dark. In fact, to tell you the truth, I have to fight against talking about the darkness of this world in every single message. I do. I have to deny bringing in news stories, the most recent headline, to talk about how bad things really are because it's so bad and it's so dark. And there are times where I just say, Lord, I just don't want to deal with that stuff. And He says, good, talk about me. (laughs) Mary was there. Mary saw Jesus because she was looking for Jesus while the disciples were in despair and darkness. That's why the Bible says, Psalm 24, 7, Lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Jesus said in Luke 21, 22, When these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Heads up, gang! Don't wallow in sorrow. You wallow in sorrow, you're going to miss Him. You wallow in despair, you're going to have trouble believing in Him. Lift up your heads. You want to be used by the Lord? You want to be an eyewitness of what He's doing? You know what you got to do? you got to be there. Just be there. Show up and watch Him work. Secondly, Jesus appears to the two travelers. He appeared to Mary. She goes and tells. The apostles are still wallowing. So Jesus doesn't show up there. He secondly appears to the two travelers. Verse 12. After that, He appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along their way, along on their way to the country. And they went away and reported it to the others, but they did not believe them either. Why? Still wallowing. <laughs> still having a pity party. And so they wouldn't believe the two travelers. Interesting, Luke gives us a bigger perspective of the story of the two travelers. And you can read that yourselves as well. Luke 24, 13-35 gives a great account of the story. The two guys walking along the road. One of them named Cleopas. Possibly the husband of Mary, the wife of Clopas. Could be the same guy, I don't know. But we're given this guy's name. It's Cleopas and another guy, and they're walking along on the road to Emmaus, heading out from Jerusalem. What does it mean that they see him in another form? Some people have really debated that. He appeared in a different form, and people have pulled that out and said, see, it wasn't a bodily resurrection. It was a spiritual resurrection, and so Jesus is now more of a specter. He's in a different form. And that's not what it's saying at all. What it's saying is that Mary's perception of Jesus and the two travelers' perception of Jesus was different. Mary thought Jesus was a gardener. That was her perception. 
The two travelers figured he's another traveler leaving Jerusalem after Passover. Kind of like them. They don't go, hey, are you a gardener? No, they assume he's a traveler too. It's all about perception. Again, it's all about different perspectives, different witnesses seeing Jesus in different places. So they perceived Him differently. But His resurrected body was not a ghostly apparition. And that's important doctrinally because there are those who would say, no, he, His body was crucified but His Spirit left before that. And, and you know, and he, it's the Gnostic uh, theology or the Gnostic Gospel that His body wasn't actually literally resurrected. The Bible teaches us very specifically His body was resurrected and glorified just as yours will be. And to prove it, he has a piece of fish with the apostles. It's one of the first things he does. They're looking at him in disbelief. And he goes, all right, all right, what do you got here? You have some fish? Give me a piece of fish. I'll eat the fish. Watch. You think a ghost eats fish? (laughs) And so he shows himself literally, physically resurrected. This is Christ crucified and risen. But we ask the question, why was Mary the first one to be an eyewitness? So why are these two guys the second Why does He appear to them next? Cleopas and Companion. We've never even heard of them before. They're not even part of the group. Maybe they were part of the group, but we don't know this. We've never seen them before. They're not part of some other story. Why does Jesus show up to them? Because they were talking about Him. He showed up to Mary because she was there. And now He shows... See how simple this really is? I'm trying not to make it too complicated tonight. Because the gospel is not complicated. She was there. They were talking about him. And so Jesus goes to where he's being talked about. He goes to where he is the topic of conversation. A good way to be aware of the presence of Jesus in your life, if you're feeling a little unaware, is get with some other believers and talk about him. Just talk about him. He said in Matthew 18.20, where two or three have gathered together in my name, I'm there in their midst. And I believe that He is there literally, spiritually, but He's also just there because He's the focus. He's the topic. So He appeared to Mary first because she was there. He appears to the two guys walking on the road because they're talking about Him. And finally, toward the end of the day, He appears to the eleven, verse 14. Afterward, He appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. Mark's the only one to say it this way, and it's interesting. Reproached. It's the word onadizo in the Greek. Onadizo. And it means to scold or to abrade or to get after. Jesus got after him. Guys! Why are you not believing? You don't necessarily draw that out of the words that that John describes. When Jesus is with them, He says, blessed are those who have believed and have not seen. And it's good teaching. But the inflection in His voice would have been scolding, discipline. Gentlemen, you blew it. Yeah, you did. You didn't believe in Me. I don't know the exact words that Jesus spoke, but Mark tells us He reproached them. And immediately, how does He follow up this scolding? I'll tell you how I do. Go to your room. <laughs> yeah. Hey, didn't you didn't believe me when I said if you don't do such and such and this? Well, go to your, Anna Marie. You went Naomi. You know, and that's scold, 
and punish, right? That's good parenting. (laughs) At least that's what I keep telling myself, you know. Scold and punish. What does Jesus do? Jesus corrects and he commissions. What? Look at this. Verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Huh? You unbelieving followers, go preach the gospel. It just doesn't seem to jive. Now, you need to understand, in these last few verses, Mark crunches 40 days of post-resurrection appearances in the way that Mark does. You know, he writes his gospel crisply and quickly and gets through it and says, this happened, and it all happened. He says it very fast, and the other writers begin to expound a little more and and give us more detail. So he's, he's putting a lot into these final verses. But these two verses back to back make a great point. Jesus corrects and he commissions. In the context, understand, the disciples are mourning and weeping, and so Jesus corrects them and then he commissions them. Why is it presented this way? I think there's a reason for it. Psalm 51 verse 12 says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. What are you saying, Rick? I'm saying this is the key to joyful living. This is the key to getting out of depression. This is the key to happiness at any point in your life. Preach the good news. He, he first comes to them and He scolds them, He corrects them, and then He commissions them immediately. Why? Because they don't need to wallow anymore. They've had enough wallowing. And Jesus knows a great and powerful truth that when we're wallowing, the thing we need more than anything else is to get out of ourselves and preach to someone else the good news of the Gospel of Jesus. There's something lifting to the Spirit about talking about Jesus. I've shared before, I've walked down here on Wednesday nights a little bummed out, and by the end of the evening, just been flying high in absolute joy because I'm talking about Jesus. I mean, the Gospel lifts us out of those dark places. Preach the Gospel. This is how you turn depression around. Are you struggling with depression? Find someone and talk to them about Jesus. Preach the good news. You cannot preach the good news from a dark place. Well, Jesus saved my life. and You know, if you ask Him into your heart, He'll save yours. Excuse me while I go wallow. No! You can't do it. He corrects and He commissions. He sends them out. And I love this. We saw this verse last week. But listen to it in a little different way. 1 Corinthians 9.16, Paul says, If I preach the Gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. But woe is me if I do not preach the Gospel. And he's absolutely right. If I shut up and hold the Gospel to myself, bummer. But if I'm out telling people about Jesus, I can't help but have a smile on my face. I can't even help it right now. Because the Gospel is good news. Go preach the good news. Correction and commission. And verse 16, he goes on after saying, Go into all the world. Preach the Gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. But he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Whoa, stop right there. So we got to be baptized to be saved? No. Baptism is belief in action. But to get back, there, there are churches who teach 
baptism is the point that your salvation happens. That you have to be baptized. Well, Rick, do you think you have to be baptized? Yes. But not for salvation. I think you have to be baptized for obedience. Because baptism is faith conveyed. It's faith conveyed. I believe in Jesus. I give Him my life. Really? God gives us something immediately to say, and here's the proof, I'm going to die like Him. It's a picture. I'm not really going to die, you know. But I'm going to be buried in water and raised up out of the water in the same way He was buried and raised up to walk in a newness of life. I'm going to follow Him in this way. And biblically speaking, we know, and you can't get around this, because I tried many years ago, that salvation is not conditioned upon baptism. Well, how do we know that? Ask the thief on the next cross over. Where did they find time to get him baptized? Uh, excuse me, soldiers, can you take him down and baptize him? Because i got to save him and I can't save him unless he gets baptized. Come on! Today, Jesus says, you will be with me in paradise. And he was. Ask Paul. Paul who wrote in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So what saves me? Grace. Grace. It's what God did. And Paul says, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Listen, you can't even boast in your baptism. Well, I was baptized in the pond in the wintertime. That's real salvation there. (laughs) And by the way, those of you who rag on me for wearing waders when I go in the pond, I baptized Hank and Cindy Sakenga in Bowman's Bay in March, and I could not feel my legs for four hours. Or someone might say, well, I was baptized in the Jordan River. (laughs) Clearly a more faithful believer than y'all. It is not your baptism that determines your salvation, it's God's grace. Well, so what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Why doesn't he say he who is disbelieved and is not baptized shall be condemned? Because belief is the issue. And disbelief is the issue. If you believe, you're saved. Okay, so is baptism unnecessary? I didn't say that. In fact, for those who would say baptism is not necessary, I would say, really? So you're going to stand before Jesus and say, I didn't get baptized because I didn't think it was that big a deal. Commandment. (laughs) Jesus did it. Jesus said to you and to me, go into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Lord, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus commands it. He tells us this is part of the commission. This is part of the deal. Every conversion we see in the book of Acts includes baptism. Sometimes it's after someone's received the Holy Spirit. But every time. You know, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, they go down to the water and gets baptized. What's, what's to keep me from getting baptized right now? Let's do it. Obviously you believe. You know, Cornelius... He gets baptized by the Holy Spirit. And then Peter goes, well, I guess we ought to baptize him in water too. (laughs) Baptism is absolutely necessary as our response 
to the grace that saves us. As me saying, Lord, I believe in You and I'm going to put myself in the water. As an outward show, my first act of obedience, I like calling it that, you've probably heard that before. Baptism is the first act of obedience of a new believer. And by the way, if you believed in Jesus a long time ago and you haven't been baptized, you skip that one. Let's go do it. Tonight. We'll do it tonight. I will go in tonight. The waiters take you right in and we'll do it. Let me also remind you, and I just need to say this, baptism is a very specific thing. Jesus borrowed it right off of the mikvah bath, which was a complete bodily immersion. And the word baptism in the Greek, baptizo, means to immerse, not to sprinkle. Oh, Rick. Okay, now you're harshing on my infant baptism. No, I'm not. But A, an infant baptized didn't believe before they were baptized. Your parents did. And that's cool. Good for them. They dedicated you to the Lord. Wonderful. Follow through now. Now you believe, so now you get baptized. And you get immersed, man. What dead person gets a a few drops of dirt sprinkled on their forehead for burial? That's just weird. You wouldn't do that. Ironside says those who received the message in faith were witnesses to it by being baptized, thus declaring themselves openly as his disciples. Baptism is the expression of subjection to Christ. So baptism is not essential for salvation. It is essential, gang, for obedience. And that's the deal on that one. Verse 17. And we're not out of the woods yet. we still got more to understand. He then goes on and says, and this has bothered some people, these signs will accompany those who have believed in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, and literally it's any deadly thing, anything deadly, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And you read that and go, wow, all right. Casting out demons, that's cool. Speaking in tongues. Picking up serpents. Drinking deadly poison, healing the sick. Why don't we do services like that? I'll get the snakes. I got the poison. You know, let's meet and and do the snake handling thing. And some people do. And some people die. And I I can just imagine the conversation with the snake handler who died standing before the Lord. But you said, but you said, I also said, be wise. (laughs) Listen, none of these things in verses 17 and 18, none of these things are a test or a measure of someone's righteousness. Or someone's faith. Note that Jesus did not say, those who believe shall follow the signs. Those who believe are going to go looking for the signs. No, Jesus did not say the signs were the point. Jesus said these signs will accompany those who have believed. And the word accompany there is interesting. It's the Greek word parakolutheo. And parakolutheo means to follow after. These signs are going to follow after those who believe. 
What does that mean? It means simply that signs and wonders do not precede faith and evangelism. They come after. They support, if you will. What are you saying, Rick? Listen, the context of this, what Jesus is saying, and as Mark brings us all to a head, the context is the spreading of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And some say, well, yeah, so all these signs were for back then when they spread the Gospel. And I say to you, are we not still spreading the Gospel? Have we stopped spreading the Gospel? No, I believe these signs are as important and present today as they were back then. Yeah, wait, wait, snake handling? No, I didn't say that. It says they will pick up serpents. And Paul did. Right? Servant attached himself to his hand, a viper, a deadly viper, and all the natives there on Malta, the island go, oh, dead man. And Paul goes, ah, shakes it off into the fire. And they listened to the gospel message because this amazing sign just shocked them. The sign followed the evangelist. Paul was there to preach the gospel. He was not there to show miraculous signs. I have big questions about faith healing ministries. I have big questions about the TV evangelists who would use such things. I have questions about when these things go on and and people are all involved and caught up Christians showing up from everywhere to see the signs. When Jesus says these signs will follow those who believe, they'll accompany you as you go out, as you're preaching the gospel. You want to see some signs? Be a missionary. Go to a foreign country. Rick, what if, what, if, what if I drink some of that stuff that they drink and I get sick? Don't worry about it. You can even drink deadly stuff. Don't worry about it. Well, what about snakes? they got snakes. Don't worry about it. You go with the Gospel. And the signs will follow. But don't go looking for the signs thinking faith will follow because it never works. It's faith first. Go with grace. Healing will come. Go with truth. You'll be protected. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 says, How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, that is the gospel of salvation, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to His own will. And the signs followed the Gospel. We see that borne out in the book of Acts. The signs followed the Gospel. The Gospel went first. The signs came after. And it continues on to this day. And let me tell you something, gang. Signs and wonders have been taking place here at the bridge. They have. In increasing number, we continue to see healings that are miraculous. We continue to see signs and wonders taking place right now. Well, Rick, why haven't I heard about them? Now you're freaking me out. You know why you haven't heard about them if you haven't? Because the signs and wonders are not the point. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the point. And we look back, you know, we look at the book of Acts, and we read and we get excited by the miraculous things we see. I don't think they were. Oh, I think they were miraculous, but I don't think the people in those days were excited about the miraculous things that they saw. I don't think they saw them any more than we do. The sign happened, but they were more excited that the guy got saved. That the church was spreading. 
And as these things were going on, it's not like they were, you know, oh man, that's a good one. Oh man, call the Christians from the local you know, towns. Get them here because signs are happening. That's always the wrong approach because then the Christians clump together and you know this. Christians are like manure. Right? <laughs> Spread us out and we actually do some good fertilizing. Clump us together and we stink. So that's not the point of the signs to gather around them and go, ooh, ah, like fireworks. Wow. No. The signs are not the point. The signs will follow the preaching of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So don't worry about the signs. Let God worry about that. Let Him do what needs to be done in different people's lives. We continue spreading the Gospel. We continue praying. And I do like the fact that the last thing He mentions is they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I think that's part of our ministry as well, the ministry of, of comfort as we pray one for another. Verse 19. So then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, He was received up into heaven. It wasn't that day. Remember, He's crunching everything 40 days into these verses. He was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God and they went out and they preached everywhere, and I like this, while the Lord worked with them, Well, I thought He was received up into heaven. He was. And His Spirit now is with those who follow Him. And He confirmed the Word by the signs that followed. Amen. And my friends, this is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Father, we praise You. Jesus, we worship You. Spirit, we invite Your work in us. And we thank You for this glorious message and we pray now, Lord, that it is the message that will be on our lips. That it is the Gospel we will live by. That this will be the issue for our lives. This will be our purpose. This will be our focus. This will be the one thing. We want to be like Mary. We want to be there to see You at work, Lord. And like the travelers, we want to be talking about You. Not like the apostles cowering and mourning our losses and licking our wounds. Oh Jesus, if we ever get in that place, discipline us and send us back out. And send us with the Gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We praise You, Jesus. Thank You so much for Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. God bless you all.